The hope of peace in the East is slipping away as more evidence of war crimes emerges in Ukraine. Diplomacy is going to take some time, it seems. Yet markets are relatively optimistic today, helped by Elon Musk's surprise stake in Twitter. Uh, There's a little more yield curve inversion, but it eased off as the session went on. And the RBA today, no moves, but will they stop using the word patience and start talking about making a move on rates? It's Tuesday, the 5th of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a stronger U.S. dollar this morning is up 0.4% on the DXY. Unusually, the Aussie dollar is up even more, gaining another 0.6% on the U.S. dollar, over 75.4 U.S. cents now, almost the highest since June last year. Meanwhile, the euro down 0.7% and a big day for the Nasdaq, climbing 1.8% at close. It's actually up over 10% in the last four days. The S&P 500 is up 0.7%, the Dow up 0.2%, whilst in Europe, a 0.8% raise in the euro stock. 50. Not big bond movements today. Ten-year treasuries are up two basis points. Two years are down two basis points. Yields also dropping for ten years across much of Europe. Down five basis points in Germany. Down six in the UK. And oil is rising. Big moves. 4.3% up for WTI and 3.4% for Brent crude. Choppy as, basically, isn't it? In the last month, I mean, we've been down below 100 and up around 130. Tapper Strickland joins me this morning from NAB in Sydney. It is a very mixed day, isn't it? Little in the way of uh, bond movement, but oil is rising again, so that's a concern. But equities, just about everywhere, are on the rise, as if there's nothing to worry about, Tapas. Hey, good morning, Phil. Uh, yes, it was a fairly quiet night overnight, and that's mainly due to there being a lack of any top-tier data scheduled for this week, and I think those trends will, will probably continue. Um, in terms of uh, US equities, um, US equities up uh, very strongly up um, overnight. S&P 500 up around 0.7%. Um, a key reason for those gains, though, is uh, from the tech sector. So when you actually look at the S&P 500 subsectors, eight of the 11 subsectors were actually in the red. And I think a lot of the momentum in the tech sector was really driven by some of the headlines earlier in the session about Elon Musk getting a 9.2% stake in Twitter, and Twitter uh, shares were up around 25%. That seemed to lift up a lot of the tech sector. Um, so it does look like it was mainly a tech-driven rally uh, Overnight, And when you look at the prime broking data, it still continued to point to a lot of the rally being driven by the retail money and really squeezing out those who were positioned short after that sell-off that we saw um, going back a month ago. So that would presumably means it could be short-lived then. Doesn't it? If it's the retail rather than institutional investors, they're just reacting to, uh, he is a great name. Yes. Yeah, so it, uh, it, making it, a big move. Oh, it's quite quite possible. And uh, a lot of people were saying, well, is this more of a bear market rally, which you do tend to get in, in, mm. in bear markets themselves. It's also worth noting with yield curves inverting, um, stock market uh, gains are not uncommon uh, as those yield curves invert. And it's only really when you get, um, uh, say, eight to 10 months into that yield curve uh, inversion and when you get inversion in that three-month to 10-year space, which signals that perhaps the recession is more imminent um, than, say, an inversion in the twos, tens curve, uh, then you may start to get a bit of equity underperformance, or at least historically that has been the case. But I think the key thing for next week will be the profit reporting season because a lot of the sentiment in equities hasn't really factored in the other side yeah. of this cycle. So we're faced with the reality, you mean, when we have real numbers and see how everyone's really doing, because everyone is getting into tech, and you've got to wonder, you know, if consumer spending is getting squeezed, you know, do we need a new phone or a new laptop? Uh, you know, we all we all got one in lockdown. You know, is the tech sector, which seems to be flavour of the month at the moment, is it really going to perform that well? It's it's quite possible, um, and you also are starting to hear more 
talk about that pivot from goods to to something else. Um, and indeed, freight rates in the US are starting to ease off. Uh, the US ISM that you covered with Rodrigo yesterday saw a big fall in, in new orders. And there's a key index there that is the new orders less inventories component. And that has been a pretty good guide for, for downturns and slowdowns in the US economy. And that's signaling a slowdown in the US economy. So you're starting to get those indicators that does suggest a bit of a slowing momentum occurring in the US economy. And finally, um, in terms of buybacks, so buybacks in the US have been one of the drivers of the equity market rally over the past couple of years. Just what noting uh, Starbucks overnight actually said it was suspending its buyback program. So I think going into next week, a lot of people will be trying to see whether that is a herald for other firms pairing back their buyback plans ahead of some thought of a slowing in the US economy. But that would subdue the growth in share prices, wouldn't it, if we saw that happening? Because normally that, you know, if you buybacks are there just to push the share price up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, look, we should have known, by the way, about Elon Musk, because uh, 25th of March, uh, he tweeted saying, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? And he added, the consequences of this poll will be important, so please vote quite carefully. And 70% said they don't think it rigorously adheres to free speech. So uh, he's obviously there to make changes, which raises the question, is he going to buy more? Maybe he will when the price settles down, but that's going to keep the price elevated for a while, I would have thought. Uh, let's talk about Ukraine and uh, where that's going and what impact that's having on 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 markets uh, and whether that's uh, influenced oil today because all over the news all over the world there's been these pictures of the atrocities uh, civilians uh, killed on the streets in Bucha uh, uh, in the northern part of Ukraine just as the Russian army pulled out Putin is being accused of war crimes from uh, all sorts of quarters more sanctions are expected as a result of that of course Russia's answer to it all is it's all staged yeah right uh, so, I mean, all that is indicating we're not going to get an amicable solution here uh, in any great hurry, are we? And we are probably going to see uh, more sanctions, which I guess is, I mean, is that why we're seeing uh, oil impacted today and also why we're seeing the euro perhaps uh, a little weaker? Oh, Indeed, and in particular, it's about whether the EU um, puts more sanctions against Russia, particularly in terms of the energy sector, um, that um, oil and gas. And so that would have a, potentially a fairly big impact on the rest of the Eurozone economy if that were to occur. So that's one of the factors for the reason for the weakness in the euro overnight and one of the factors for the rise in the brand oil price. In terms of whether we can get to that ceasefire point between Russia and Ukraine, it still remains um, unclear, um, but it's just worth noting that the foreign ministers and the... um, Secretary of State. Secretary of State um, are still saying if there is a ceasefire and de-escalation, then sanctions can can be eased. So I think we should also be, be wary that these things can turn relatively quickly and that there is an off-ramp there. And at the moment, at least, Russia isn't taking that off-ramp. Well, yeah, because you've got to wonder about the, the practicality of this idea of the US supplying more liquefied natural gas to sort of substitute Russian imports into, into Europe. Because the more I've looked into this and read about it, the more... You know, there's question marks about whether U.S. gas companies have actually got the capacity to export the amount that's required, whether the ports in Europe have actually got the capacity, and whether there's enough gas terminals. So it might be an idea, you know, in, in, in principle, but in practice, maybe uh, it's it's not going to work. So that would mean there needs to be some sort of negotiation before next winter. Maybe you can ride it out during the summer months. But we'll see how all that all that goes. But uh, it's still obviously making uh, commodity markets very choppy. But, you know, Australia is definitely a beneficiary from all of that. Oh, definitely. The Aussie, I think, is now at a five-month high, currently sitting around that 75.42 level and really benefiting from high 
commodity prices and also being quite distant from uh, Russia and Ukraine as well. Now, you mentioned the yield in, uh, inversion. Two years got over 2.5% overnight. 30 years were down to 2.44%. So this is becoming a more defined inversion uh, now, isn't it? Although it has weakened a little bit as the session has gone on. But is this time to worry, do you think? Uh, it's a very good question and a question that markets are asking themselves. The history and the precedent suggests that when you do get yield curve inversion and the inversion over so many parts of the yield curve, then that has historically preceded a more severe downturn in the US. Um, it's, it's still unclear exactly whether this one will lead to that or whether it represents more of a mid-cycle slowing uh, in the second half of next year. And the Fed moving from being in restricted territory uh, back towards neutral territory. But just worth noting, a lot of ex-Fed officials, so such as the New the ex-New York Fed head uh, Bill Dudley, is saying that it's going to be very hard for the Fed to engineer a soft landing, and he is expecting um, a recession as being um, inevitable. And you've had similar comments by, by some of us, you would have to say has called uh, the, the cycle relatively well. So I think there is going to be a lot of skepticism whether the Fed can actually engineer a, a soft landing. Um, and I think the yield curves are basically giving you that story as well. Um, a lot of people are taking a little bit of heart out of the three-month, 10-year curve. Um, and historically, when that is inverted, then recessions have followed within the next eight to, to 10 months. Um, that just looks like a matter of time, really. Um, obviously, the Fed is only starting its, its hike cycle, and it's quite uh, probable that that starts to invert starting from about June or July th- this year. And then you'll probably get more conversation about whether uh, that inversion is uh, lending itself towards a recession in the second half of next year. Well, Bill Dudley, and this was last week, of course, I mean, he he was basically saying, wasn't he, that, uh, uh, you know, we're going to see demand destruction and that's going to take jobs away. We could see unemployment rise by half percent. It's very hard not to have a recession if you're in that sort of environment. Uh, definitely. And uh, I think it just goes to the notion that the Fed probably should have been hiking at the end of uh, sorry, last year, um, really, just given uh, where the yield curves are at the moment. And I wonder if that will give the RBA uh, pause as well to say, is it, should we keep waiting um, and balancing those risks between moving too early and moving too late, or should we just get along and start the hiking cycle? Yeah, well, okay, so let's do it. We'll go back to the Fed. I've got a couple more questions, but just on the RBA then, because we had the, the Melbourne Institute monthly inflation gauge uh, that saw uh, prices rising up 1.1% quarter on quarter on the trim mean. Uh, we're sort of supporting the CPI figures, isn't it? The, the, but the highest since uh, Q2 2008. So, yeah, aren't they going to look at all of this and, as you say, look at the Fed and say, OK, we've got to say something now? Or are they going to say, well, we shouldn't really say anything now because we're in an election cycle? But, I mean, they shouldn't be thinking about that, should they? Because they are supposedly independent. But, I mean, I wonder whether that could hold them off saying anything just now. It's, it's really interesting. Um, there has been a bit of a change from what the RBA said in its post-meeting statement in March to what Governor Lowe has been saying in his speeches. And if you recall in the post-meeting statement in March, there was that line of the board is prepared to be patient as it monitors how the various factors affecting inflation in Australia evolve. And really, as we've been discussing, is really is that patience being tested by higher inflation, particularly in the rest of the world. And it does look like Governor Lowe is starting to pivot to more of a risk assessment approach. Um, And in a recent speech, he noted that it is only possible to achieve a sustained period of low unemployment if inflation remains low and stable. And that really echoed the comments that Fed Chair Powell actually said in his congressional testimony. Um, and then um, 
RBA Governor Lowe also noted that uh, the RBA will respond as needed and do what is necessary to maintain low and stable inflation in Australia. In a different context, that would be seen as relatively hawkish. So in uh, the post-meeting statement today, we'll be looking quite closely at whether the RBA removes the word patient. And if they do, markets will take that as a sign and a clear nod to the importance of that Q1 CPI figure. And that would line up a May or June uh, rate hike for the first hike. Well, maybe they'll keep the word patience there, but uh, they'll water it down. You know, there'll be potential for patience. Uh, you know, how central banks like to speak. Uh, and more central banks speak in the Fed minutes, of course, uh, later on this week. I just wonder whether they'll get much from that because, uh, you know, we've heard so much, haven't we, from Fed speakers since, all signalling this half percent rate rise. So is there going to be anything really to look out for in those minutes? Yeah, I don't think that'll give us too much more information, but I think what it could do is provide a little bit more context for the possible quantitative tightening and what kind of pace we should expect from that. And uh, that could have some potential implications, just given we have very few uh uh, past experiences to see what kind of impact quantitative tightening will will have on yeah. the economy and will have it's not been on good what we have markets. yeah um the uh, bank of canada uh, they they are also looking at uh, perhaps a full 50 basis points as well aren't they it's not just the fed uh definitely and we got the bank of canada business survey out last night and that all highlighted that it looked like the canadian economy was was overheating capacity constraints um are very high um, and it's all pointing towards a 50 basis point hike at next week's meeting. Mm. All right. And the US tonight, we get their trade balance, the ISM services index, which is expected to go up. I mean, this gets back to what you were saying before, isn't it, about we're, uh, we're perhaps consuming less but doing more. Uh, so maybe that'll be an indication of that. And, of course, you know, it, it, it will have gone up because COVID has had less impact as well, of course, that month. Uh, so that's to look out for tonight. Uh, definitely. And we also get a few more Fed speakers. So we get the Fed's Brainard talking on unequal impacts of inflation and the Fed's Williams is a, a part of a moderated virtual discussion on health and the right. economy as well. Okay, well, we'll leave it and see what the next 24 hours brings. Good to talk. Catch you soon. Thanks, uh, Tapas. Uh, cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And a new member of the team. Yes, another one. Uh, Taylor Nugent joining us uh, tomorrow morning on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Join us for that. See you then.